Between the Times, a podcast of Christchurch Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. This is episode 84, and this morning I'm here with our pastors John Payne and Michael Bauer. We're also here on Thursday morning after our Bible study, and we are starting the Bible study back from the summer, and we are going through a book that's entitled The Life and Theology of Paul, by Guy Prentice Waters. And so as the book sort of states here, this is looking at both a biographical account of who Paul was, as well as the main overtures and themes of his theology in the New Testament. But for today, let's think first about the first part of that, about who was Paul and why is Paul significant? Yeah, the the, the opening chapter, um does a great job of letting us know who Paul was uh, before he was a Christian, when he was Saul, as it were, when yes. he uh, went by the name Saul. Of course, we know later uh, in chapter 13 of Acts and onward, his name uh, was Paul, but really that was just the Greek rendering of his Hebrew name. Right. And uh, he used that because he was the uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, as it were, and, right. and so he, he, he used that. It, his name didn't change beca- because he became a Christian, but really uh, because he used uh, the Greek uh, rendering of his name. Um, but what he does is he brings out a lot of the autobiographical accounts we find in Scripture where, where Paul talks about himself before he was converted. Right. And uh, it just magnifies the grace of God when he yeah. does that. And uh, it's really something, isn't it? Because you have a lot of braggadocious kind of Christians in the world, and uh, they want to tell you how, you know, they, they, they sort of, you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really humbled by this. And then they tell you all the great things we're doing. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, they, don't, they don't really tell you about where Christ has saved them from. And Paul did it all the time. And, uh, and Paul didn't say, I used to be the chief of sinners. He says, I am the I chief am. of sinners. Right. And he recognized, as the more he got to know Christ, the more he recognized how sinful he, he was. Not because he was sinning more. In fact, he was being sanctified and he was sinning less than he did in those former days. But, you know, the closer you get to Christ, uh, as it were, the more you see your own sin. Um, I heard a wonderful illustration one time of, uh, of this when... Uh, uh, a, a, a guy was walking down the street, he had a white suit on, and a car came by and splashed mud all over him, and it was dark. Mm-hmm. So he looked down and he thought, oh man, uh, I've got mud all over my suit, and he really couldn't tell how much. Mm-hmm. But as, as he got closer to the, 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 the light, uh, the, the, the street light, he started noticing more and more of mm-hmm. the mud that was on him and the, and the mm-hmm. large splotches and the small ones. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a picture of the Christian life. Uh, as you grow in your walk with God um, and your understanding, your wisdom of God's words, then you recognize the depths of your own sin. That was Paul. I am the chief of sinners, he says, and he magnified the grace of God. So he writes of himself, for instance, in First Timothy, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent opponent but i received mercy because i acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in christ jesus the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the foremost Uh, but i received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost sinner 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 And so we have uh, this unpacking of, of, of the life of Paul uh, prior to uh, his uh, conversion. I think uh, next week we'll get into uh, the first chapter, which deals more with Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Um, interestingly, I'll be preaching on that pretty soon as well, a couple of weeks, because uh, we are working our way through the book of Acts in our congregation. Um, but uh, what are some of the things that we learned that, uh, uh, from Scripture uh, about Paul and his pre-Christian life? Well, um, <clears throat> Dr. Waters does a great job of, of highlighting, I think he pulled out nine different aspects of the uh, Apostle Paul's life that tell us a bit about his background and his early life, uh, things that he doesn't get into. And um, some of those are, are about his, his name, which you mentioned, um, his appearance uh, he talks about, which is, has an interesting little discussion about some apocryphal literature from the first, second century, excuse me. And, uh, yeah, I want you to read that. Uh, yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, he says, an early but apocryphal second century description of Paul describes the apostle as, quote, a man of little stature, thin-haired upon the head, crooked in the legs, of good state in the body, with eyebrows joining and nose somewhat hooked, full of grace. <laughs> wow, it's um, quite a description. <laughs> That's very vivid, too, right? Um, <clears throat> well, in the modern era, if you met someone whose nose is somewhat hooked and is crooked in the legs, <laughs> it means, you know, two things that... The person had a rough life yeah. in some way. Right. That's yeah. one way to describe that. And the second way, it just simply states, this is a man that you overlook. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. just That's unfortunate. You move on to other things. Yeah. But what we know from the New Testament is that when Paul was uh, radically converted by the grace of God, uh, the book of Acts says that he suffers. And as the Lord Jesus says, he will learn how much... He will have to suffer mm. for my name's sake. Mm. And it's not accidental that at the end of things, you see a man who is diminutive, very weak. But that goes back mm. to one of the blessed things about the Apostle Paul, that his weakness illustrates the grace and goodness of God. Amen. It's and it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the modern day... Uh, uh, charlatan preachers, the health and wealth gospel, they tell you if you'll just believe the gospel, everything will be fine, all your mm -hmm. problems will go away. Mm -hmm. When Paul was converted, the Apostle Paul, mm -hmm. uh, the writer of 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament, he is told, as you just said, uh, I will show you how you will suffer for my name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Paul, of course, later in an autobiographical account in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, he writes um, uh, in verse 24, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Mm -hmm. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Mm -hmm. On frequent journeys uh, in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 
And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is to, made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, he says. Um, then later he said, when he talked about wanting God to take away this thorn in his flesh, that Christ responded to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Amen. The Lord is pleased to show his power through the weakness of his own people. And Paul, the great apostle Paul, he boasts in his weakness, not in his strengths or his power. And that's also one of the aspects that probably separated uh, Paul from the super apostles that you read in Second Corinthians. Yes. In Second Corinthians, you hear of these super apostles who are larger-than-life type of figures who exert all these attempt to exert all this authority over the church. And here you have the weak, um, physically in injured with multiple infirmities, Apostle Paul. And again, Paul did not regard his physical frailty as a disqualification for ministry and that's something today that's contrary to perception i mean an example of this would be if you go back in the old testament think of king saul at his time where king saul was chosen because he was the most physically imposing person around yeah. <laughs> that was the motto and we saw king saul's radical fall into madness and eventually into his death yes you contrast that with the Apostle Paul. Um, they come from the same tribe, but contrast the two. You have a man who is would have never been picked as a king of Israel, and yet look at the apostles of the Gentiles. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and and uh, another thing that uh, Dr. Waters uh, illumines for us is um, Paul's background, his, right. his family, his heritage. What, what do we know yeah. about that? Uh, one of the one of the primary things, of course, is that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? He's uh, raised in a Jewish family, um, and he was uh, says he was circumcised on the eighth day. That means that his family uh, was was Jewish, and they took that seriously. They mm -hmm. they followed the, uh, the the commands of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. um, but he was also a, a Roman citizen, which is something that he leans on pretty heavily at, at certain times throughout his life. Um, when people try to persecute him, he says, "Hey, you can't." You can't do anything to me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen, mm -hmm. um, and and so those are the two two areas of, of his background, which again points back to his name, um, his Hebrew name Saul, and then his his Greek name or even Roman name Paul, and he was a pretty educated guy too, very very well educated, <laughs> and this is one of those aspects that um, modern people tend to overlook about the Apostle Paul that when. If you think of the image of a religious person today, the image is usually of someone who is ignorant and uneducated. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul, if you consider his background, he first it was told that you read in uh, Paul's own discussion that he was trained on the Gamaliel basically since he was a child, which basically meant that he is very well educated, even coming from that age. You then realize that since he is a Roman citizen, he would have learned Latin, along the way mm -hmm. yeah. also Greek uh, because of where he lived but since he is a Hebrew of Hebrews that means he knows Hebrew and Aramaic mm -hmm. so how many people do you know today that are fluent in both speaking and writing in four different languages very few people yeah. today that can do that 
Does, pi does pig Latin count? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get the just the other thing on the side in in terms of consider how he interacts with pe different Gentiles. So think of the Mars Hill situation at the Areopagus where he is conversant with Epicurean philosophy to the extent that he's able to understand it, to respond to it, and therefore to minister the gospel from that particular background. So he has a very well-established religious training because he is a Hebrew of Hebrews in that sense. And he knows a lot of philosophy, enough to actually refute and to actually address some of their poets, as he said in Acts 16. So you put that together, you have a, a very well-educated, a scholarly man, came from a background that enabled him to be born into Rome. So he's an actual Roman citizen, not by paying for it, but by birth. So you put those things together, you, you, you get a man who is what we would today call cosmopolitan. You get a man who would basically be an urbane urbanite today, who can actually uh, discourse with the most educated people around. But what we also learned from 1 Corinthians is, this is not how he preached. <laughs> he did not preach from the perspective of taking his rhetorical skills and his education and kind of impressing the crowd with that mm -hmm. he according to first corinthians 1 preached the cross of christ not with human wisdom not with human rhetorical skills in that sense mm -hmm. so again it points to what we can uh, learn from him today is that first uh education and it's not something that should be shunned from christians particularly pastors uh, if you're going to be interacting in our world you need to understand where people are coming from philosophically and what they're actually learning today. But in the second sense, we don't rely upon human rhetoric when the gospel is being proclaimed. It is the cross of Christ that is the power, not the human orator. And that's something we learn from Paul's own background. Yeah, and, and Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he, he summarizes his and the apostles' ministry as preaching Christ and him crucified, Amen. not preaching the wisdom of this world, not mm -hmm. not seeking to do signs for those who would be impressed by those, mm -hmm. but to preach the word, to preach Christ and him crucified, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, so when we move on in the book of Acts and we see the emphasis, it is on preaching the word of God. It is that gospel that must be proclaimed. Uh, what does uh, Stephen do? Uh, he preaches this beautiful redemptive historical sermon in chapter 7 where he shows the Christ-centeredness of the old covenant. And then he moves on, uh, and, and in chapter 8, um, Philip is, it says, proclaiming Christ. Uh, and, and later as he, I'm, I'm preparing for my, my sermon this week uh, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and when Philip uh, basically asked the eunuch about um, uh, what he was reading, uh, he, he read to him from Isaiah, uh, and then Philip uh, uh, says, uh, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? After he quotes uh, uh, Isaiah 53, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before it shears silently, opens on his mouth. Then it said, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He wasn't quoting to him some, you know, uh, North African philosophers. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we have a tendency in our day in an evangelical world to over contextualize to, right. to to look at our preaching through a cultural hermeneutic so that mm-hmm. really we're not coming to the word first and then if necessary at times bringing some illustrations in to help people understand it better we actually start with the illustrations we start with the stories we start with the entertainment and then we throw some bible in there to make it christianized mm. and uh, too often we make the mistake that paul didn't make because paul didn't focus as you were saying earlier on simply uh quoting philosophers and quoting darth vader and 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 and, and, and quoting you know the latest cultural trend uh, that was not his focus. He wasn't afraid to bring that stuff up from time to time, but his the summary of his ministry was preaching Christ from Amen. all of Scripture. Amen. Amen. What we also learn from Paul's life, and this is kind of, to some is anecdotal, but his actual other profession was a tent maker. That meant he was a man who worked with his hands. And so one of the things that Guy Walters um, states about this, I think it's interesting for today, And so I'll quote from him uh, in his work. He says, Tent making was a portable trade and well suited for an itinerant such as Paul. For Paul, tent making afforded him financial independence from the congregations he served. This independence was important to Paul, who was concerned to distinguish himself from the often financially predatory traveling teachers and antiquity. It was Paul's boast and delight to offer the gospel, quote, free of charge. It comes from 1 Corinthians 9.18. And to tell his churches that he had worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul did so in part to substantiate his claims that his ministry was not motivated by greed, and in part to offer a model or examples to believers of diligence in a lawful calling. Mm. End quote. So today we hear so much about the prosperity gospel and ministers swindling their congregations. Again, history is repeating itself in a sense Mm -hmm. that in the first century we have the same sort of situation where ministers will easily use their um, powers of persuasion, use their oratory, use their charisma to uh, receive money and basically take advantage of Jewish and Christian congregations. Paul's, uh, the point here is that uh, the model of Paul is to show yourself that you're not a man who is greedy or as one of the qualifications comes up later for ministers, you're not one who is desiring to obtain wealth through yeah. the ministry. Yeah. And sure. it's an important correction for today that if there's a time where people are more suspicious of ministers, <laughs> it's probably today, <laughs> yeah. I would think. And much of that suspicion, you can say it's somewhat warranted because we have right. seen numerous embezzlements and financial scandals of ministers. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm so willing to vindicate that charge and I'm willing to work my own tail off to make sure that this can never be applied to me. And it's a lesson to tell ministers of his era and the future that the minister should never be one who is desiring to make a name for themselves or to profit from the gospel itself. This also speaks, I think, to an important uh, topic, and that is bivocational ministry. That's right. Um, and uh, I've uh, heard friends talk about this before. It's an interesting subject. And uh, without, you know, I've, I've ministered in many third world countries, and I've ministered to 
to shepherds who are shepherds, right? Uh, yeah. Literal shepherds in the field who are also pastors of their churches mm -hmm. and uh, they're bivocational and their congregation simply can't support a full-time pastor and so they labor under this, uh, this uh, situation. But it's far from ideal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some people like to point to uh, Paul's words here to say that bivocational ministry really is the only way we should do it. Whereas Paul in other places says, uh, do not withhold, uh, yeah, don't muzzle the ox, uh, make sure you take care of the ministers mm -hmm. in your churches. And uh, part of that is that um, probably no one but a pastor uh, or those who are very familiar with pastoral ministry understand the kinds of, of, of pressures and time that it takes to properly shepherd a church. Um, if you were to say, you know, uh, Pastor John, I think that you need to go work 60 hours a week in a, in a secular job, and I also want you to bring it from the pulpit morning and evening, and also I want you to shepherd the flock. We all know that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> um, so it's, it's less than ideal to have a bivocational pastor in the church. I know sometimes it's necessary, right. but a, a, a congregation needs to support uh, their pastors, and... Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they need to free them up to be able to faithfully do the work of a pastor without worrying how they're going to feed their children. And uh, sadly, I've seen some of that as well in some parts of, 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 of Europe where uh, there is almost an intentionality to keep pastors very poor. Um, and uh, that's sad as well. Uh, if congregations can take care of the pastor. They need to do that. Uh, so anyway, just, just a few words about that as well. Yeah. I think one of the things that I think needs, it always should be stated is Paul before, well, Saul of Tarsus, before he was Paul, was a persecutor of the church. Mm. And when we talk about that, it's easy to gloss over that, but think about what we see in the book of Acts. While Stephen is being stoned, he is, you can say, joyfully approving of the activity. Right. He's the cult man, <laughs> essentially, yeah. for that. And then immediately following that, when the church is being scattered, it is Paul who is the central agent going to houses, persecuting the church uh, in various different places. And so as John read in 1 Timothy, he was a violent aggressor. And violent is the key word there. It, this was not just um, he told the authorities of things and then kind of went on. He was part of the murder process and persecution of Christians. But yet and still, the grace of God came to Paul. That someone who was formerly a violent aggressor is now one who has found grace uh, in the sight of God. And Paul, uh, you can say maybe as a consequence or it was God's working, Paul was eventually going to be the recipient of multiple different levels of physical persecution uh, associated with his life and ministry. So it, it shouldn't be regarded as an easy matter for Paul to have converted. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul was essentially a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who was thinking of persecuting the Christians because they were blasphemers. But as Paul says in First Timothy, I'm the blasphemer. Yeah. <laughs> his mind and his eyes were completely opened to understand uh, what he was and what he continues to be at the time. Mm. Timothy is written. Amen. One of the things we uh, discussed uh, this morning were some of the lessons that uh, Dr. Waters gives us at the end of this uh, wonderful chapter. And um, he says that uh, Paul's 
pre-Christian biography speaks to the church today in two important ways. He writes this, first, we see that God in his providence was preparing Paul from the womb to be the, quote, apostle to the Gentiles. God was doing so in ways that Paul could not have foreseen. Paul's place of birth, his heritage, his education, and his vocation were all means by which God was molding and fashioning Paul to be the servant whom God had purposed him to be. All Christians should look back in gratitude to the God who makes and sustains us when we trace the paths by which God has brought us to the places we are now. Mm. Reflecting on God's providence in this way helps us to renew our trust and confidence in God to lead us into the future, even when that future may seem grim and uncertain. That's very encouraging. And then secondly, he writes, when the saving grace of God transformed Paul's life, it did not make him into someone other than Paul. That is, Paul did not cease to be of Jewish heritage, an educated man, a tent maker, a citizen, and so on. Grace transformed Paul and brought him under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Whereas these aspects of Paul's life had once been employed in rebellion against Christ, after his conversion they were employed in the service of Christ. We should think about our lives in the same way. Finally, he writes, as Christians, we have a brand new relationship with sin and a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should ask how we can use the details and experiences of our lives to advance the glory of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Isn't that encouraging? Amen. So we'll uh, end our, our program with that uh, today. We thank you for joining us. And uh, if you are a member of Christ Church and you are a male uh, and you are uh, over 18, maybe even if you're a little younger than 18, you are welcome to come to our men's Bible study. Well, we meet again at 6.30 a.m. on Thursday mornings on the corner of Broad and King in our offices. And uh, we would love for you to join us as we uh, gather together uh, around this book, which is filled with scripture and which helps us to understand the life and theology of Paul and where we truly sharpen one another as brothers in Christ. Uh, please join us uh, at our Bible study and join us next time on Between the Times.